So we're in the seventh week of our series from the Psalms, Prayers of the Heart. And uh, since this is Communion Sunday and our fifth through eighth graders are joining us with our Victory Youth, I think it'd be good to just recap quickly the previous six Psalms and the prayers of the heart they express. So you have an outline there uh, with the different Psalms. And uh, I might test the adults a little bit here and say, okay, guys, uh, what would be that which was expressed in Psalm 84 that you actually went through last week? Yes, okay. (laughs) Praying out of the eternal perspective, Psalm 84. Praying out of the eternal perspective, the valley of Baca that we live in, the valley of brokenness, the valley of tears, we can actually pray through this journey because we have something that we look forward to, the courts of the Lord, which as expressed here in the song, they're better than life itself. Psalm 103, praying our salvation, praying our salvation. We learn all the benefits we have in Jesus and we can stand on them even in the hardest times. Psalm 51, praying our guilt and shame. Psalm 23, praying our fears. Psalm 73, praying our doubts. And there they are, so you have them up there. Psalm 143, praying our troubles. So, this is our journey, okay? This is where we've gone. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, as Kim has been telling us through the worship this morning. And in this psalm, David powerfully describes how the God we pray to reveals himself through creation and his word. And today I'm going to use a video to read Psalm 19. So if you're someone listening on this, this is not Sunday morning, but you're listening in on your computer or on your headphones while you're running or some way of listening to it, this reading is going to be a little slower because there's going to be a video And that video is going to be declaring the heavens as I read the word this morning. So if you're in your car or you're doing that, just as I'm reading this slowly, think about the heavens. Think about what that means for us. So here we go. Let's play that video and we'll read it. declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his tent. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth.
law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. reading of the word. Amen. It's good to see that, to focus on what this word is speaking about, to see the amazing decoration of the glory of God. Amen. Isn't that good? You know, if we just sat in here and I read it, there's nothing here, you know, we don't have any sky or anything, but to at least get that perspective, especially for our young people. I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up young in the city, I very rarely looked up at the sky. Uh, Anyway, God has changed my heart since then and has given me a greater vision. But the first thing we want to talk about as we look at this is this idea that God communicates with us with nonverbal communication. What is nonverbal communication? Do we have that? What's it like? Right? Is body language nonverbal communication? My kids would know when I was angry, right? What would happen? You would have said something. Your face. <laughs> my wife said I would have said something. I think they, I think they knew him with my face, right? They knew it. Uh, they knew the look. Dad's look. Let's get out of here. Um, we, but we know it, right? How much of us pick up people's body language? It's nonverbal communication, but we pick it up. You know, uh, somebody drives up in a $100,000 car. They don't really have to say much, right? They're making a statement. You give someone a beautiful diamond ring. You don't really have to say much. There's an expression in that, right? There's nonverbal communication. We grew up and we live with nonverbal communication. And so creation itself is God's nonverbal communication. Kids, if you're filling out your, your forms... It declares the glory of God and his presence with us. It declares how awesome he is. 
how powerful he is, how creative he is, how wise he is. This is God. And because he's this way, he is worthy of our praise. There is only one God. All of us, no matter where we are on the planet, can see and are impacted by the stars and the moon. So, so no matter where we're at, everybody in the world can see the glory of God. It's declared because it's, it's, it's in every dimension that we see and it's shouting out at us in its awesomeness. It's an amazing thing. And this is what David is talking about here. That truth about God, it's being poured out from everywhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you felt this? Have you ever felt this? What's it like when a group of people get together, and uh, this happened to us in Swaziland. I think it's the first time for me that I really saw the sky in all of its glory. We had set up a tent in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the bush, and we had our own generator. And so we had a revival meeting. And after the revival meeting, we had to shut down the generator, and then we had to walk in darkness to our buses and our, and our vans. And as we walked out of this tent, it was like the stars were right there. And we saw everything. We saw all the different formations, all the different, you know, the Milky Way and all the different things. And they were just right there. I mean, it was like we could have just gone up and got them. And there was a hush that came upon all of us. Nobody said a word. We had been dancing and singing for hours. When we got out there, and there was a hush. And it's like infinity was upon us. And the mystery of God and all his awesomeness and all of his glory. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had that experience? It's amazing. That's what he's talking about here. What goes through your mind when you, when you see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset? You know? You're on the beach and you see it and it's just incredible. And, and you're pointing to other people, look at this, look at this, look at this. Or you're on a mountain and you see the same thing. It's beautiful. It's absolutely incredible. You see? What goes through your mind when you see these things? How amazing is it that the sun rises every day and sets every day? And every day the sun brings light and life. And warmth to everything. And it's a picture for us of how God himself not only creates the sun, but he is actually the greatest expression of that because he brings light to our lives and our hearts and the things that we need. So that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. But somehow... This testimony of the glory of God, it, it's clouded. Humans don't see it clearly. Instead of seeing the sun as sort of the greatest symbol of God in nature, and just as the sun is needed to give strength to all things living, God is needed to give us moral strength and spiritual insight for all of us, men, women, and children. See, this psalm makes it clear that there's a creator and there's a creation. But what man does is begins to worship 
the creation as God. And this causes major issues. And Paul puts it very well in Romans 1, 20 through 25. I want to read that because he does a great way of explaining it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. For all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. That's the world we're living in. That's the inclination of all of our hearts, right? But how wonderful is it that our God is not satisfied with just being the God of creation and letting us try to figure this out, but He is the God of relationship. Guys, if you're filling your things out, He is the God of relationship. He's the one who talked with Adam and Eve and walked with them through the garden, called out Abraham, declared and delivered the Israelites from slavery. This is the God who sent his son into the world that we may know him as our loving father. You see? God reveals his character through his word and pursues us to be his children. Guys, if you're filling that out, God reveals his character through his word and pursues us to be his children. So that's why David has to then describe God's word and how it impacts our lives. This this text, this 7 through 11, is such a powerful text for us. It speaks so clearly about the Word of God. It speaks so clearly about how this Word speaks to us and does so many wonderful things. So listen to it. Verse 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. The first thing it tells us about the word is it's perfect. The word is perfect, and it revives the soul. We talked about living survival or living lives of revival. And we see it again and again in the scriptures. I want you to notice now, when you go through Psalms and other scriptures, when it begins speaking about things, how much it's spoken about that we are to be as a people revived in our soul, refreshed in our spirit. This word does this. That's what he's saying to us. This is what the word does. And he's saying, this word of God, it's perfect, which means it's complete. It's sufficient for all of our needs. All the needs of the human soul are met in this word. 
It speaks to all of life's issues. And this word refreshes us. It revives the soul. God's word brings life to the soul. The very life of salvation God's word brings to the soul. This is what he's talking about here. And I have some scripture verses because I wanted us to look at scripture as we do this. So, 1 John 6, 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Right? 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. We have been born again through the word of God. Right? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing and hearing from the word of God. Brothers and sisters, it is this word which is imperishable that speaks life into our souls. So the word revives the soul. This is my testimony. It's my testimony. I walked around in darkness. I was blind. I thought I was smart. I thought I was wise. I had almost destroyed my life because of all the things that I had done, the culture that I was living in. Many of you know my testimony. But when I began to just read God's word on my own, and began reading the word of God, it began to speak to my very soul. It began to awaken those things in me which I had suppressed those things which had darkened my heart, which had calloused my heart. And as I began reading this word, and I kept reading it, and the Spirit was keeping going before me, the next thing I knew, I was excited. I really wanted to live in a new way. I saw Jesus. I saw who He was. I saw His love. And I said, this is who I want to be. Now, that was pretty bravado, but I was quite foolish, right? But it was more than that. When I began reading scripture, I found out that's actually who I was going to be like. How amazing is that? And so this scripture brought me to the place where I need to humble myself and revived my soul. How about you? But it isn't just salvation, brothers and sisters. Every time I go to a prayer meeting where scripture is read, every time I'm with my brothers on a Saturday morning when we read the scripture, every time I'm with my family and read the scripture in the morning, when we read the word of God, that word is so alive that it begins to speak to our souls. And I will tell you, when you do that, all of a sudden, things begin to work in your heart, in your mind, and there's a reviving and a refreshing that takes place. That's what he's talking about here. And he goes further. He talks about this word being trustworthy and right, making us wise and giving us joy. What does that look like? That word is truth, and it can be trusted. It brings wisdom and sanity and joy to the mind and the heart. Right? We live in a world where everything that is called truth, we look on suspiciously. Isn't that true? We live in the era of fake news. In the age of broken promises. In a time when a specialist tells us what's right and five months later we find out it's wrong. When we go online and we think we have truth and what we found out, it's a scam. And I can go on and on, right? And we live in a world where things that are insane are being presented to us as sanity. But this word is the truth. This is the truth. Now, how do we know that? 
And you're standing up here and you're telling us this is the truth, this word. And we're so glad that you're standing up and doing that. But we can't believe you. No, you can't. But can you believe Jesus? I want to ask you that question. Do you think Jesus is a lunatic? A liar? Or he's God? Because if you believe, like I do, that Jesus is God, then listen to what Jesus says about this word in John 17, 15 to 19. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Your word is truth. And then in Luke 24, verses 44 to 45, the resurrected Savior is talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is what he says to them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus was opening their minds through the Holy Spirit so they could understand the truth. Hallelujah. We have truth. That just excites me. I know when I read this, I'm reading truth. And I need it. I don't know about you, but I need it. Because I tend towards going after those insane things rather than having sanity in my soul and mind. And I need to read this word. And it, it basically makes us wise. It says, it gives wisdom to the simple. In other words, you don't need to be uh, you know, a, a person of great intellect, a person with many degrees, It means that you can be someone who's just a normal, ordinary person, and yet you can be very wise because of what you get in this truth. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-19. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Hallelujah. This is our God. This is the word. Perfect, trustworthy, right, and now radiant, giving light to the eyes. Radiant, giving light to the eyes. The word not only gives us wisdom and sanity in a world of lies and broken promises, it also gives us eyes to see our own hearts clearly. Our own hearts. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Amen? We have eyes to see, not because I can see, but because the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, as I read it, begins to reveal to me my own heart. And I need that to happen. How about you? I have ugliness in my heart that needs to come out. I have attitudes in my heart that I need to ask forgiveness for. And the Holy Spirit does that. And the Holy Spirit actually uses brothers and sisters to help us with that too. So he gives light to the eyes. And this word is more precious than gold than much pure gold. Think about that for a second. What's he very simply saying? He's simply saying money and wealth 
cannot do for us what the Word of God can. Okay? Money and wealth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it cannot do for us what the Word of God can do. The Word gives us faith. And faith gives us eternity. Faith gives us God. Faith gives us forgiveness. Faith makes us people who know our future is secure, that we will be walking with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. This is what faith is. That's why when First Peter, when he speaks about suffering and trials, he says that's okay because it's refining your faith, which is of greater worth than gold. Amen? This is what it is. And then last, sweeter than honey. Than honey and the honeycomb. Think about that. He's talking about the fact that the word is spiritual food. It's spiritual food. Right? Now we understand that there is soul food out there, right? And I enjoy eating soul food. There's another type of soul food. That's the word does. Because what's it do? Hey, Hey, guys, when you eat a hamburger, what's it do? When you eat a hamburger, what's it do to your body? Anybody know? Does it taste good? Oh, yeah. yeah. Does it make you strong? Kind of. Does it it make me fat? Does it make me strong? But it's doing something, right? Now, when people are older, it makes them heavy because they're not really exercising and stuff. But for you guys, it's making you strong, right? It goes down. You don't quite know what it's doing but it's getting into your bloodstream and nutrients are going all over your body and it's making you strong and it's making you grow. Well, the Word of God is the same way. As we read it, we don't necessarily have to read it like i got to get an epiphany every time I read it. It's actually reading it and it's feeding my soul and it's making me spiritually strong. That's what he's talking about. Right? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He hadn't eaten anything. And Satan comes to tempt him. And he starts saying, you know, if God, you're God, you can make bread for yourself. You could give yourself a good meal. You could have a gourmet meal out here in the wilderness. What are you doing, Jesus? And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes From the mouth of God. Hallelujah. You see what he's talking about there? In the midst of that, there was something greater. Something being tested in the wilderness. And that was his faith. And his faith was on display. And even though he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, as he reviewed scripture and used scripture to refute Satan and all his arguments, he was able to say to him, No, but I've been eating. Oh, have I been eating. I've been eating the word of God and it has made me so strong. Amen? Amen. So this is what is being spoken about here. This is what David is saying. I love what Rick Warren says about the word. It's there in your outline. The Bible is far more than a doctrinal guidebook. God's word generates life, creates faith, produces chains, frightens the devil, causes miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our minds, brings things into being, and guarantees our future forever. 
Never take it for granted. You should consider it as essential to your life as food. Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. God's word is the spiritual nourishment you must have to fulfill your purpose. Amen? Now, guys, if you're filling out your forms, now you need to really be listening at the end here. I'm trying to keep your attention all the way to the end, okay? Jesus is the word of life, the word made flesh, the bread of life. And he invites us to eat with him, to be in relationship with him. Revelation 3.20 says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. This is all about relationship. This is the God who's revealed himself. This is Jesus, who's the word of life, the bread of life, the word made flesh, now inviting us in. And it's a mystery, but it's an amazing thing because as we come in and we take the word, the word is Jesus now speaking to us. But more than that, through the spirit, it's Jesus living in us because he is the living word. I don't know how all that goes together, but I know it's real. How about you? And so there's this relationship that takes place. And in this relationship, we are being strengthened. We are being given wisdom. We are looking at the future with hope. Everything that we have as issues, we can look at through this word. This is the God who has stepped into our lives. This is the personal God who reveals his character to us. And here's where I want to go with this, because I want to try to encourage you. This is the God we pray to. All right? This is where this is all going. This is the God we pray to. One who is all-powerful, loving, wise, personal. One who understands because he has suffered as we have suffered. A God who is for us, not against us. You guys filling that out? You see? And I got to ask you the question. Does knowing that God who reveals himself encourage you to pray prayers of the heart? Because that's where it's at, right? Why would I pray my doubts to someone that I didn't trust? Why would I pray my fears to, I think, someone who didn't understand what fear was all about? Why would I pray my troubles to someone who never stepped into a broken world and had no idea what was going on? Why would I pray my prayers to someone who was not able and powerful enough to do the things that I asked? God reveals himself. And as a result of knowing that, we can pray to him and we can pray all of our hearts to him. And as we pray all of our hearts to him, we can trust that he's going to answer those prayers. And sometimes he doesn't answer them the way we think, right? But that's okay because he's for us, not against us. He has proven himself worthy, has he not? Not only through creation, but by Jesus himself coming 
God has proven that He's in it with us, that He loves us, that He was willing to suffer for us, that He steps into our lives, and that yes, there are times when His plan does not look right, but if I trust Him, His plan is better than mine, because everything for us works to the good. And that's why we can pray these prayers. That's why we can go to Him and pray. That's why the Psalms make so much sense. How amazing is it? Young people, you can pray to God. Even now, you can pray to Him about all the things that are going on in your life. You can talk to your parents, too. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But you can also talk to God because He's a loving Father. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. That's why God reveals Himself to us. And as we approach now the communion table today, Let our response be the same as David's, right? Here's David's response to all this. But who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Forgive my hidden faults. Listen, there are secret places that we don't even know about where we have rationalized away our sinfulness and our rebellion towards God. There are places that only as we read the word of God that the spirit begins to speak in the depths of what's going on in my heart. I know that through the years, now I'm a Christian for how long? 1980, so I'm a Christian for 38 years. Wow. Praise God. But I know in that time that I needed the Holy Spirit through the Word to speak deep into my life and to begin to uncover so much of that sin in my life that I've rationalized. We have many hidden faults. But remember the promise. He is going to make us like Jesus. So He does the work that way. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Willful sins... The sins that we know and we still do. Sad to say, right? I know it's a sin, but I still do it. I'm in open rebellion against God. I have a pattern sin that I love and I continue to do it. I have an addiction that I love and I continue to do it. I know that I'm not supposed to do that, but I do it anyway. I know I'm supposed to come to church at 9.30 tomorrow, next week, but I'm going to watch the Eagles. I had to get it in there somewhere, right? (laughs) But the reality is that we all have sins, both hidden and sins that we continue to do, even though we know we're in open rebellion. And they begin to rule over us. There's no question about it. They become more to us than God. They become more to us than family. They become more to us than anything. And we have to have the word of God come to us. And I now need to bring them to God. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. May what I say and what I think be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. That's why we come to the table, brothers and sisters.
You see, right now, we can say to God, because at this table, kids, at this table, when we look back, what do we see? We see Jesus' perfect life going to the cross, dying on the cross for our sins, His blood being shed, and the power of that blood brings forgiveness as we come to God, and in forgiveness we're then reconciled with God, and being reconciled with God we're then made children of God, and God is now our Father, and because of that we inherit salvation and eternal life, and more than that, it looks forward and then says, this Jesus is going to come back, He's going to take us home. And when we go home with Him, we're going to have glorified bodies. No more suffering. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more grief. And that's what this table is talking about. Amen? And we stand here today in the present. The Holy Spirit's at work. And He's revealed Himself to us. And when we come to this table this morning, I can bring all my sin to God. I can bring everything. I can say, Lord, whatever is hidden, revealed to me. And Lord, those sins that I still love and I'm still doing, I'm repenting of them now. I'm asking forgiveness. And give me the power to step out of those sins, Lord. May the meditations of my heart, that whole idea of what I say and what I think, be pleasing in your sight. Amen? For our young people here, some of you have not made a profession of faith yet. But some of you are really thinking about it. And so I say, don't get communion until you've made a profession of faith. But if you're thinking about it, go to your parents and talk to them about it. Because we would love to sit down and talk with you about your faith. So that you also can come to the communion table. Right? If you're someone here today and you've never come to faith, then I would say, don't receive the meal but receive Christ today. Receive Jesus today. Come to him now. And for you of faith, now's the time to bring your willful sins, to ask God to reveal your hidden sins that you and I, in our thinking and in also our acting, are pleasing in the sight of God. Amen? So I'm going to ask you now to take a few moments in quietness. I'm going to ask the McCloys and I'm going to ask the Winters to come forward. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that you're the God who revealed yourself to us. We're thankful that in creation we see your glory. We're thankful that in your word we see you and your character and your love and that we can have personal relationship with the God of the universe. We thank you that in your word you reveal so much to us and you refresh and revive our souls. We thank you as we come to this table we can bring our sins, 
our willful sins. We can bring, Lord, those hidden sins. We can bring to you, Lord, the thoughts of our lives, Lord, and the meditations of our heart. And we can say to you, Lord, forgive and make it pleasing, Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.